This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. This is the two-part podcast. This is part two. You can also check out part one on prideofwest.london. Tonight, we are in Brentford. Welcome to Besotted Question Time. On tonight's panel, Dave Laney Lane, otherwise known as Dave Garn of Ashford, he's the man with the electronic plan. Martin the Dutchman Holland made a very early call to very cleverly masquerade as a European to beat the visa checks. And myself, Billy the B. Grant, currently with, as they say, a complete mix-up mix-up. With a bit of Brazilian, Guyanese, Jamaican, Portuguese, African, British and who knows what else in me. I'll be looking at the Dutchman to borrow one of his spare visas in not the distant future. Plus we've got contributions from the Besotted Crew, Club Shop Anne, GP Gary Paul, Liberal Nick, Greville the Water Man, JB Jonathan Birchill, Dr Katie B Graham, Matt the Allard Allard, Will the Spreadsheet Winker, Ian the Westbrook, Liberal Tom Fiddler and Robin Hood. Welcome to our panel and welcome to the audience at home. You don't have to be here to take part. Thanks to all who sent their questions in to besotted1992 at gmail.com. We'll be hearing from you throughout the course of the show. Please like and review us on your favourite podcast platform. And if you want to support us, go to our Kofi page at besotted.com forward slash beer. So many thanks to all the listeners who have supported us today and big thank you all for listening. So what's this all about? I'm here with my chums and what we're going to do is we're going to discuss 10 subjects today with questions being asked by Brentford fans and answered by members of our esteemed panel. But I'll tell you something, what has been amazing 
is, is finding out the fans who listen to this podcast who span the length and the breadth of the world, as we talked about, you know. We, we, you know, we had Yehuda from Israel, like I said to you, you know, but also we're very pleased to have Brentford's very own Ted Lasso on the pod this week. And if you haven't seen Ted Lasso, you, you've got to check it out. Laney, um, you, you knew nothing about Ted Lasso before last week, did you? You bastard. You, <laughs> you, you, you threw the, you threw the Ted Lasso seeds into the melting pot the last couple of weeks. And I'll be like, oh, so what is, what is this thing he keeps on about? And I, I sat down with my, my, Apple Plus, which I really, I forgot I had for a year after buying a new laptop. <laughs> and, uh, I, I, I watched the first two and I thought, oh, this is, this is actually all right. And I watched three and I watched four and I've done, I did all 10 in, <laughs> in about, well, in this, well, in less than 12 hours. Uh, and, uh, I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. And I have to say, if you're stuck for 12 hours of entertainment, then I, I can't, I can't recommend it anymore. Um, it's, it's, it's really funny. Um, normal, normally like football drama is really cringy. It's, it's normally really awful and it started that way, but give, give it two episodes, get into the characters. And I have to say, uh, it was, uh, yeah, but like, uh, not the highlight of my week quite, but it was, uh, yeah, as I said, yeah, thoroughly entertaining. Do it, do it if you can. And shot, like I said, on in Richmond Green, so it's very local to us. Um, like I said, shot in the Cricketers, which is where we do quite a few of our podcasts. There's a Fuller's Pub that we do there as well, which you should check out when the pubs are open again in the summer. Definitely go and check that place out. But it's just quite funny because, like, I mean, the, the complaint that I had is like it's hilarious because um, the, the team is called AF, AF, no, FC A- Richmond. AFC Richmond, yeah. That's right, FC Richmond, and they're based in Richmond. We're actually based at Crystal Palace. That's where they shot it as well. And also, I think Hayes and Harlington is also another place where they where they where they shoot a lot of the scenery there as well. And so, but the base where all the characters go, where they're they're where they're hardcore fans. They all meet in this in the cricketers. But what makes me laugh is that every time there's a match on, which is obviously down the road, they're all in the pub watching it. None of them seem to go to the game, do they? No. What I quite liked is the the fact that they didn't kind of. Uh, dilute it down so there's this the swearing in it and there's kind of like you know rude references it's it's just not it's you know it's it's not pg but it's not 18 it's it's you know it's uh it's it's written for adults and it is actually funny and there's 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 manners there as well i think it's very much it's actually very much aligned to this podcast to be honest with you it's it's, it's there are there are definitely uh synergies between what's going on at brentford and what's going on at afc richmond i have to mm. say and i have to say i apologize you know i did mention uh in the last podcast about you know, a potential ending at the end of ted lasso what i will say to you is that i will not say whether or not that is true or not because i may have been around when I said that ending was so I'm not giving anything away just to let you know and Bill is it true that you've started listening to the the, 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 the Ted Lasso podcast you sad sad man <laughs> I have to admit that there is a, a fan podcast the Ted Lasso and I did start to listen to the Ted Lasso fan podcast and I actually really enjoyed it as well and that it actually goes into the sort of the characters and and what it's all about and the deeper meanings of Ted Lasso and I've, I'm there's only two in so far because they're going to do it sort of episode by episode but I've never done one of these before but I'm actually quite enjoyed it and I have to say it's re- what's really actually quite sad is the podcast listenership of this fictional football club is probably a million times what we're getting 
<laughs> for like a real football club. That's right, that's right. But anyway, listen, you know, we've got Scott from Tampa and uh, he's been quite taken aback by some key differences between British football, or, or should I say soccer, after watching Ted Lasso, and American soccer. And uh, very much like the Ted, the, the real Ted Lasso, as we've seen, there's only one Ted Lasso, or, or wanker to his friends. There definitely is only one Ted Lasso. Billy, Laney, and the crew, this is Scott Williams from Tampa, Florida, Brentford's very own Ted Lasso. I've been a Brentford supporter for the last five years. I actually had tickets to see a Chelsea match at Stamford Bridge, but the match got moved to a different date, and then I wasn't able to attend. Um, but that did allow me then to see a Brentford match at Griffin Park in the hospitality section. It was one of the most wonderful experiences. Everybody from the club and the stadium took care of myself and my family. And from that day forward, we've been huge Brentford supporters. Over here in Tampa, Florida, our local club is called the Tampa Bay Rowdies. They are in the second tier of U.S. soccer. Our system is set up as the MLS is a top tier. The second tier is called USL Championship. The third tier is USL League One, and the fourth tier is USL League Two. As you can see, very similar to the English football pyramid, except one main difference. We do not have relegation and promotion. So if you are in League Two, you are always going to be in League Two unless you can become an approved MLS franchise. To become an MLS franchise, you must pay the franchise fee. Currently, right now, it is $200 million uh, plus approval from the owners in the MLS system. Um, it is supposed to be going up to $325 million in the next couple of years. Um, there's been some talk about the MLS merging with the top Mexican league, the La Liga MX, but there's not a lot of details if that would ever happen. My question to you guys is, what is the lowest league position Brentford have ever been in? Also, how many times have Brentford been relegated? What was the worst one that there ever has been? Thank you so much for your time. Bye. The first relegation I remember is 1973. It was my first full season watching Brentford. I was only seven years old. And um, I started watching the season before, 71-72, beat Northampton 6-1 in my first game, went up from Division 4, and I just thought, this is it, this is what football's about, just winning, success. Um, but my sort of dreams soon sort of fell apart, really, early in the season, when um, John O'Mara, who was our top striker, uh, one of my favourite players, I, over that summer I'd um, drawn pictures of my favourite Brentford players and stuck them on my bedroom wall, and one morning my dad came in and said, you won't need that anymore, took down John O'Mara picture, and I just thought, what are we doing? Most of that season we spent in and around the bottom of the table. I think our best win of the season, 5-0 against Port Vale, with a hat-trick by Andy Woon, was a game we actually missed, couldn't go for some reason. Um, I was too young to go to away games, and I only went to home games, but it was just a bit of a depressing season. And, uh, yeah, uh, we then were stuck in Division 4 for five more years. Hi, it's JB here. In 1920, the Football League expanded from two divisions. Brentford, who had been playing in the Southern League, joined the new third division, along with 21 other clubs. That first season saw us finish 21st, one place from bottom, which meant we had to apply for re-election. This was a process by which the other clubs voted on whether the two lowest placed clubs should be retained in the league or be replaced by another team, an approach which continued until 1986. 
That season, the league's meeting was also considering whether the third division should be reduced from 22 to 20 teams. Brentford's league career could have been over before it had really started. Fortunately, the status quo was maintained and the Bees were re-elected. It was no better four seasons later, when we again finished one off the bottom with our lowest ever points total, scoring only 38 goals and conceding 91. But again we survived the re-election process for the second and final time in our history. Since the league changed to four divisions in 1958, our lowest position was when Mike Everett's side finished 19th out of 24 teams in the 4th division back in 1974, which effectively made us the 87th club out of the 92 in the Football League. In October of that season, we actually occupied 92nd place. In our 93 completed league seasons, we've had 9 promotions and 8 relegations. Malcolm McDonald, 60 years ago, is the only manager who kept his job following a relegation season and then went on to achieve a promotion the following year. Hi, this is Greville Waterman. I was taken to Brentford as a 10-year-old by my dad in 1965 and we hammered QPR 5-2 and we only just missed promotion, finishing fifth. So 1965-66 looked good for promotion, particularly when we murdered QPR 6-1 in the first game. But an ageing team all got too old together. Um, I think that the chairman, Jack Dunnett, had lost a bit of interest. He wasn't going to replace and spend more money. Also, long-serving manager Malcolm McDonald had left for Kilmarnock and was replaced by the appalling Tommy Kavanagh. So it was a long season for a 10-year-old to watch Brentford lose so many games at home. I remember an appalling 5-0 home defeat by Bristol Rovers where Mel Scott, the ex-Chelsea centre-half, scored a own goal of incredible violence with a diving header. It was an awful season and there were times when I actually used to take my glasses off so I couldn't see what was going on. But Brentford were relegated. First of several relegations, 65-66, a terrible season. An old, ageing team, poorly led, couldn't score goals. I think Ian Lawther was probably the best player. John Doherty was there. Bobby Ross got signed near the end of the season. So there were a few small shoots of recovery to look forward to. But not a good season. So there you go, Scott. Brentford's very own Ted Lasso. And like you said, he listens to this podcast every week. Thanks for your support. Scott, and he, like I said, he lives down the road from a brother as well. Well, I say down the road is about four hours drive. But, you know, in America, four hours is nothing, you know. So uh, around the panhandle a little bit to Tallahassee is where my brother is. And you never know, they might actually link up with each other, you know, as they do in America. Uh, but Scott's there and he was you know, interesting. First of all, like I said to the MLS, as you know, I've been delving quite a little bit into the MLS and, uh, you know, DK as well, I've talked about him for ages, and all of a sudden, DK is the man now for Barnsley. Came from the MLS, who was working or playing for a college team a year and a bit ago. And then Orlando, then MLS comes over to the UK, and before we know, he's scoring goals, and he's got. I think DK has got the second. He's the second highest percentage of goals to shots in the in the in the in the championship. So you know, DK. Is uh, like I said, the MLS is 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 doing things. I'm telling you, and my gut saying that you know the MLS is going to be creeping up in there, and the and the Yankees, the Americans are going to be. Uh, I think in the next few World Cups, they're actually going to be uh, they're going to be knocking up back on the door again. You know, as they as they as they were probably about what, eight or twelve eight or twelve years ago when the when they did the rise up and um, Scott. 
who's really amazed by the relegation and the fact that we actually get relegated, wasn't he, Laney? Yeah, he was. He was uh, He was a bit shocked by it, flabbergasted. Um, unfortunately, it's, uh, it's it's something that's kind of uh, plagued us in our in our footballing history from from the early days. Obviously, it was just the rise up, uh, and then obviously in the forties, uh, after getting getting relegated after the war, we went back down to the bottom tier. You know, the fourth division by the, by that stage, and we we've been we've yo-yoed, but basically stuck in the third and fourth tiers for pretty much. You know all of that, all those post-war years, and uh, the 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 up, the, the you know the the silver lining, the 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 best of my kind of foot early Brentford supporting time was getting promoted at uh, at Peterborough and spending that season in what is now the Championship, the second tier. So for me, of all of the relegations, I think the the relegation after one season. Uh, at, at Ashton Gate, um, the four-one humiliation, which it ended up being. Um, unfortunately, Gary Blissett was the the guy that scored the goal that sent us up, and then a year later he scored the goal, and then we got relegated. Um, and it was it was just it was just typical. It's Brentford, and it you know, yeah, we wait all this time for a, a promotion, and then it's all over and done with. Even though there were some real high points of that season, so yeah, for me, of all the relegations, I think that one hit the hardest. And taught, and it combined it with beers. Um, after the game, we went back to the pub on Q Station. And it was the it was a, one of those Firkin pubs, and I, and I and I can't remember what exactly it was called. There was the balloon in the Firkin up the creek. They were all like weird names, and it was kind of real ale before real ale became trendy. But I remember drink I remember drinking this thing called Dog Bolter, which was just an evil brew, and I probably drowned my sorrows, and I probably woke up the next morning forgetting that Brentford ever existed. But uh, yeah. Uh, that was that was the hardest Ashton Gate um, and uh, relegation back to the third tier for me. Dutch, which one was the worst for you? Yeah, I hate to be repetitive, but it's the same as Laney's. Really, for all those reasons, it was. Um, you know, I remember as a kid. Geez, it makes me laugh now. Talk about the seventies. Um, you know, a little kid at least uh, getting relegated in seventy-two-three again the year after we went up from four to three. Um, yeah, I was heartbroken as a kid, but as an adult finally getting up at Peterborough and you know it was what we'd all waited for most of our supporting careers and then the next season we actually did all right for a large majority as you say there were some great results um, you know even Bristol City who cost us at the end we spanked them at our ground five four five one I think five one um, you know a great win at Wolves games on TV against Newcastle and uh, Leicester away and we're getting a draw up there and there's some just fantastic trips and we were we looked good uh, and then we just didn't um, and probably thought we couldn't go down and it would take a really bad run of luck and then we had a bad run of luck uh, and then left it too late and then we picked up towards the end and won a game and thought we were going to be okay and Bristol City was I mean it was just a just a dog shit performance I can't think of a better word to use um, and I remember sitting in that pub in queue with Laney and others drinking dog bowl and I actually made the, the national press 
the next day I, I was interviewed uh, in, in that pub saying something along the lines of I'm going to sit here drinking dog bowls until I'm physically sick and I got quoted in the Sunday whatever it was um, which I was quite proud of um, but that really summed it up because you think there is just no point going up if you're just going to come straight down again um, and it's taken until recent times to kind of get back up there again you don't get the promotions without the relegations do you so um, it is the ups and downs that make it such a good thing and makes you enjoy those highs even more and part of the reason why we went down was interestingly is that we we didn't really um well reinvest the money when we when we went up you know we we sold Dean Holdsworth and we only bought Murray Jones and uh, and that was it really wasn't it you know we, so, well we we bought Bob Booker back and, yeah and that, well. and, and that and that really isn't a knock at Bob Booker because he's he's a, he's a lovely guy and uh, you know he's a, he's appeared at one of the besotted socials in the last couple of years and hopefully he'll do the same again in the next couple of years um but yeah you're right it's it's that lack of investment um and you know we 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 went up and we 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 lost dean holdsworth and we as you said we we, we bought some random kind of parking lot kind of car car salesman lemon of a player um and it it just it just got from bad to worse towards the end and it was all, all your worst nightmares rolled up into one. Just when you thought that your team that you loved was about to make the big time, it just you know it just contrived to just make it make it almost like I wish it never happened. You know, Peterborough was such an incredible experience. The whole day and the rush back and the the you know the late evening at Griffin Park on the pitch and the you know the the parties that happened in the pubs and in the players' bars and back in the back in the flats and the, the rented accommodation that we were all living in at the time. You know, it was a it was a mad, mad party, a crazy party day. And then nine months later on, you know, it's like it never happened. It's funny, Murray Jones, it's interesting because the, the crew that I used to go around with, um, you know, one of my very, very good mates, Paul, Paul Cassell, who also listens to this podcast, um, you know, Beast fan, who I met at Reading years and years ago, and I ended up being his best man and hanging out with a lot of his crew from South West London, um, or all around the sort of kind of pearly, kind of caterham, you know, Godstone area, which is where um, Horidison lived at the time. That's where we, uh, I think, we did our interview with him just around the corner from where Paul's place was. But, you know, I used to basically used to go to Croydon all the time because I knew all that lot. And they knew Murray Jones because he was from that area. And apparently when he signed for us, he was actually confused. He didn't know why we came in for him. It was just a complete and utter shock to him that we signed him. And he was obviously delighted with the, uh, with, with the, <laughs> the fact that we signed him. Um, but then it was just, he just said it was just too much for him. It was just, just, it's just a level ahead. And he, he obviously didn't massively enjoy his time there. And at the end of the season, and my, my daughter actually asked me, actually only a few days ago, you know, what was the worst player that ever played for Brentford? And I sort of kind of, you know, as it, if you know your history, so I'll give her the history. And I'd give her the history of Murray Jones. And so she's gone off onto Google. She's Googled him. And then she's come back and she's gone. And his contract was cancelled at the end of the season. That's sad. <laughs> I was thinking, did we not sign him from Grimsby? Was it? Was it? Was it there was. A, I think it was Grimsby, wasn't it? I think he he signed like he he'd scored like one goal in about a million appearances for them. That's right. And, uh, he was terrible for them, and he was terrible mm. for us. You know. So yeah, but you know, so the writing was on the cards. I mean, in, in my era, you know, there was three relegations. 
1993, 1998 and 2008. And if you ask me, you know, which was the worst one for me, um, 1993, I have to admit, which is the relegation from, you know, the league we're in now, which is the championship now to or, or the second tier to the third tier. I actually don't remember that one. And the reason why I don't remember that, well, the, f- the first half of the season was all right for us. We, you know, we were, you know, half decent. And then the second half of the season, it just all went horribly wrong. You know, we had a lot of fun that first half of the season. You know, we went to the Anglo-Italian Cup. You know, we went over to Italy. We were over in Italy for a week. And, you know, we had lots of fun. And I keep saying I'm going to edit up the sort of eight hours of video that I've got from that. And I will do one day, everybody. I promise. But that was great fun. You know, we, we won some matches. We were on a lot of trips in that first half of the season. But the second half, we became so bad. <laughs> remember going too many trips on the in the second half of the season at all and I think it got to the stage where and this goes to show you you know my parents live in the states and the the weekend that you played we played Bristol City was round about Easter weekend Easter holiday time sort of you know towards the end of well I think it's towards the end of probably the end of April I think it was probably the last week in April and I was in America visiting my parents at the time and I remember, you know, visiting my parents and I didn't think that we were going to go down. I'll be honest with you. I still thought that we'd get away with us. It was us and Birmingham City. We were sort of battening out the bottom. We went to Bristol City and it was the days, don't forget, there was no internet. There was no, you know, the only way that you could find out anything was either on the radio or by telephone. And I remember actually calling, you know, the Dutchman's other half at the time. And uh, I remember got on the phone like 10 to 5, 5 to 5. And I said, to her, what's going on? How are Brentford doing? How are Brentford doing? And I remember she just said to me, I think they've been relegated. I think they've, yeah, they've lost 4-1. And, you know, I was like a million miles away. And it kind of just sort of hit me like a sort of, oh God. But I was, because I wasn't there, it didn't affect me as much. You know, and 2008, you know, I just set up the company and, you know, record label, we were flying all over the world and we were terrible. They were so terrible in those days. You know, I think it was just the post-butcher days and we were terrible. So I don't remember 2008 too much when we got relegated. I can't remember who we got, what team we got we got relegated to when it was. You know, I just remember the, the following season when everything picked up. So that's out of my mind. So for me, it was 1998, which was the gutter because, the you know, we'd pretty much just come back from Wembley. You know, we, we were at Wembley, the previous, I think it was the previous season. We got to the Wembley final. We should have gone up. We didn't go up because we didn't turn up because we decided to go to, I think it was Corfu. And everyone got completely lashed up in Corfu. It was at that time. But anyway, they weren't on it at Wembley. So we didn't go up. Crew went up instead. And I think it was the following season, which we got relegated kind of straight away. And we got relegated at Bristol Rovers. I did a coach, get another one of my coaches to Bristol Rovers and uh, the memorial ground. And it just wasn't a good day at all. So that's the one that hits me the most, Laney. I have to say, you know, of all the ups and downs, and I think of the younger, like, Brentford fans that listen to this, that 2008, that's not so long ago, right? So of all the yo-yoing, we can talk about 71, 72, 73, 60, whatever... 2008 is very, very not far, not far ago. We were relegated to the bottom tier in 2008. That's why I have no appetite for people pissing their pants and shitting themselves with nine games to go when we're fourth in the second tier, still in with a fight of going up to the Premier League, them wanting to sack the manager. That is the absolute demonstration of how far we've come in a little over a decade. 2008, 14 years, not even that, 13 years, right, from bottom tier 
to knocking on the door of the Premiership for two days, two two years running. That shows you how far we've come, and that is why I will believe for the rest of the season. It's interesting, just you mentioned that as well, because I thought about this the other day. Is that a lot of uh, quite a lot of the younger folk? I think that probably if you were nineteen years and younger, you wouldn't have remembered the sort of the two thousand and eight era. So basically, if you're sort of 19 years old or maybe 18 years old, 17, something like that, you've only seen good times with Brentford because after that, we were actually a, a fairly decent team. So you've not seen a lot of the, the, the shit that's gone down. Now, the thing is that like, this is not a lecture to sort of say, oh, back in the day, look, you know, we're old and we just remember nonsense. It's just kind of like their experience is different to ours. And I think that, you know, um, probably unless you've actually been through what we've been through and then maybe like, say, for example, what Sheffield Wednesday are going to be going through and what, you know, Burnley fans back in the day had gone through and Wolverhampton fans went through when they went all the way down to the bottom tier and everything like that, when there were massive sides and all of a sudden their fans had to recalibrate themselves to realise actually, you know, things can always change. Um, a lot of the fans have not been through that. So when we get situations like now, that's kind of the reason why they behave like they behave because they haven't been through that. And maybe sometimes, and I'm not saying that we're going to wish it on ourselves, you have to go through that to actually kind of just basically kind of level yourselves a little bit more Dutchman. I think our old age might be getting the year wrong there, Billy, because I think it was 2007. Yeah, all right, um, around it, yeah. Rather than 2008. You're absolutely right in terms of, um, you both are in terms of, the youngsters and different views and you know there's plenty of old people moaning this year as well it's not an exclusive uh, uh, thing for, for, the, for the youngsters but it does so but from our perspective it certainly helps to um to know how bad things can get so you can compare how good they are uh, and I think that's right I mean also worrying is you can see how quickly things can change and when you're in the sort of position we are now where we're you know whatever we are six seven years into this league and looking comfortable and challenging um, you've only got to look at teams around us to see how quickly that changes uh, and that's why our whole infrastructure and setup and an ethos throughout the club is so important because it all helps to reduce the risk of that you know big style collapse that we see happening around us and you know you know the expression I, I would have given my right arm for that there was an actual time that I actually physically would have given my right arm for for seven or eight years in the championship if it meant that I wasn't going to kind of Rochdale, Scunthorpe and those kind of places. So, you know, this is this is where I'm coming from. There's no, no not necessarily a right or wrong, but sometimes, you know, it's about perspective. That's all I can say. Uh, yeah, OK, so talking about perspective... We might be getting a bit topical here again, but loads of people were really interested in what would happen if Brentford were to do the unthinkable and not go up this season. So John from Isworth, Jimmy the Fish again and Tony Johnson, they give us their thoughts on what would happen if that that did happen. And also Thomas Frank and where would he be? What would he do? Maybe was he going to leave Brentford? Is he not? And they asked the panel exactly what they thought. Hi, it's John from Isworth here. I've been following the bees since the mid-90s when I moved here from Aberdeen. Ever the optimist, I've been thinking about the end of the season and Thomas Frank's position should we fail to gain promotion. If he gets another offer, do you think he'd take it? And if we do lose him, is there a natural replacement at the club? Or would we bring someone in? Personally, I hope we hold on to him as long as possible. He's been in charge of the most successful Brentford team I've seen. It's Jimmy the Fish again. There's a lot of chat about Frank in, Frank out. Now, I'm a man that believes in Frank in. 
But if we were to get rid of Thomas Frank, I believe we need to get somebody in that suits the style of play that we already have and the players that we have. And I think Eddie Howe matches that criteria. So my question, do you think, if available, Eddie Howe should come in as Brentford manager in the summer? Hi, my name's Tony Johnson. I've been a Brentford fan since the early mid-90s, but the club really came into my life uh, the season after the League 2 promotion with Andy Scott, and I've been a season ticket holder pretty much since then. With us being now an established championship team, um, heaven forbid if we don't go up um, and through the playoffs automatic for the second season in a row. If we were another club, um, people would be asking questions of the manager. Uh, my question is whether we think um, that it's time for somebody else to do the job. Personally, I think uh, there aren't many other people out there that would do a better job in the championship. Um, we could get in uh, at an established or a, a, a manager with a track record of getting teams out of the championship, but I'm not convinced that any of the usual suspects for that role would be um, would be welcomed by the fans, or, or you know, or, or even by the by the owner and the and the um, DOFs. So, the uh, question is, if we don't go up, heaven forbid, this season, uh, is it time for somebody else to take the top job? Robin Hood. I don't think Thomas Frank's going anywhere anytime soon. I have been disappointed to see despite all the successes of the past two years how little or how little credit he's been getting from a certain section of our fan base i understand the frustrations of fans not wanting not you know seeing us throw away leads and seeing us not maybe get as many points and be as successful as we could have been particularly with the squad we had last season but Thomas Frank's fantastic I think he's a real match made in heaven for Brentford Football Club in terms of the ethos that we have and the style in which we play we like playing attractive attacking football and Thomas Frank certainly buys into that Thomas hasn't got the biggest sort of resume of success and in that same breath he's sort of punching above his weight in terms of the managerial stakes and Brentford aren't too dissimilar. It's not long ago that we were scrapping for to survive relegation, having been promoted from League 2 to League 1 and trying to stay in the third tier. Now we're fighting to get into the Premiership. And if you see how much we've progressed as a club, we're now in a new stadium and we're selling strikers who are getting England caps and, and scoring on their debut. It's absolutely phenomenal. And Thomas Frank's played a key part in that. There are a str- There's obviously a strong uh, reason or rationale behind getting someone new in to maybe give us a bit of a boost but at this stage of the season it's just not viable we could potentially get someone like Eddie Howe in or Frank Lampard I don't know those are just two names that people have banded about who have that sort of more big name profile that might generate a bit more of a motivation and a bit more success but I think it's very short-sighted to suddenly up sticks and get rid of the manager I think Thomas Frank he's been here long enough and he's earned the right particularly after last season and how close we came he's earned the right to get us uh, or the, the right to have a go at getting us into the Premiership again. Um, he's not perfect by any means. He certainly does have flaws that need to be worked on. But I have I have to say, I think he's fantastic. And I'm, I'm hoping that he does learn quickly and he does take the opportunity to get the rest of the fans on side by driving us to a load more wins. I think he will stay if we do if we don't go up. I don't think I don't see any team coming in for him for a manager that's twice not quite made the grade in getting us promoted. He's very under the radar. You don't ever see him mentioned in that sense. In the same way that uh, managers like Dean Smith weren't mentioned and now he's obviously doing very well at Aston Villa. So he, I don't see him being appointed by a premiership club at, at all, but who knows, you never know. 
Katie B. I can totally imagine Thomas Frank getting offers from other clubs. Um, he'd be a desirable manager for plenty of championship teams, um, especially teams that want to play football and that have the players that can do that, um, and especially teams around the middle of the table who want to like get up into the playoffs. Um, I also think he'd be a really good assistant for any Prem team, um, and I reckon he'd enjoy the learning experience of moving into a quote-unquote big team, but without the pressure of being the person in charge. Um, I think whether or not Thomas Frank takes an offer depends on what happens to Brentford at the end of this season and how it happens. Um, And for me, whether or not we want to get a new head coach entirely depends on why we don't go up this season. So if we address the current problems we seem to be having and if we go out fighting, then no, I don't think we do need a new head coach. Um, And I think Thomas Frank will feel like he wants to go again. But if we end the season with a splutter and if the wheels keep falling off the bus in the middle of games, as they sort of seem to be doing, um, then, yeah, I think we do need to consider a change. Um, If we don't go up this season, we're likely to have some major rebuilding to do, right? Given all the players who are likely to leave, um, De Silva, Tony, Raya, Henry. um, And I feel like that's the moment to bring someone new in. Um, Do we get Eddie Howe in? On the surface, he's a great manager and his record with Bournemouth and their similarities to us make him an obvious contender for the job. But I think there's some big questions here. Um, Can we afford him? Does he buy into the bigger picture? Is he too much of a name to fit into the structure that we've got? Is he happy being a head coach? Can he man-manage in the way that Frank is obviously able to? Um, For me... If we get a new head coach, they've got to buy into the system that we've got in place. Um, We're where we are now because of how the club is run. And I just don't think it's worth sacrificing that for a big name coach. Hi, it's Liberal Nick here. I think it's possible that were Thomas not to get us promoted at the end of this season, then yes, he might decide that it was time to move on. I mean, it must have been an incredibly tough ride this year. Um, not only you know seeing the team's form fluctuate so much, but also, um, and most importantly, probably you know he hasn't seen as much of his family as he might have wished, um, given the travel restrictions to to Denmark. And I think that you know he deserves to, if he wants to move on, he should go with our full thanks. As to who his replacement might be, uh, I'm absolutely not convinced by Eddie Howe. Eddie Howe is somebody who uh, seems wedded to Bournemouth. Um, he uh, went to Burnley, didn't do very well there and soon scuttled back to the south coast. Uh, all the rumours are that he also is very much his own man. And I don't think that's the Sprintford style, is it? I mean, we're much more collaborative um, in, in working than I think Eddie Howe would accept. Um who else is out there at the moment? Well, you know, got somebody like Karanka and we're not going to take him in a month of Sundays. And if we did, I'd be only back my season ticket, given the style of football he plays. So uh, sure to be somebody out. Uh, do you pr- promote from within the club? Well, you've got Kevin, Kevin O'Connor, the club legend. The only thing about Kevin is I just wonder whether it, would do, it might do him good to, to just leave Brentford for a, for, for a short time, go and pick up some experience in another club, see how uh, uh, other teams operate. Um, might, might do him good in the long term. That, that's my thinking on Kevin. So my honest answer is I do not know who would replace Thomas if he goes. Uh, but what I am sure is that A, we probably have a successor already lined up. And B, if we don't, it will be somebody left field. 
um, because that's the way the club operates and that's the way that the club is successful. And that's the reason why we are the best team in West London by a mile. So interesting end of season thoughts there from, well, there's all sorts of characters, you know, John, Jimmy, Tony and, and, the, and the esteemed panel list as well. Thomas Frank, he, he's, I wouldn't say he's like Marmite, but he, he definitely provokes a reaction in people, both within Brentford and outside of Brentford. People seem to either sort of love him or hate him. And sometimes the reason for the hate of Thomas Frank, I think, is a little bit irrational, to be quite honest with you. It's almost like they kind of just want to hate him and they'll look for any reason to hate him. And then eventually when things don't go right, they found their excuse. And then when things go wrong... You know, they've found more excuses. It's just, it's a bit strange there. I mean, Laney, I mean, your thoughts here on Thomas Frank and Brentford and the end of the season. Do you think it's time to reassess? Uh, Okay, I'm not asking you, should we get rid of him at the end of the season? But these are valid questions that people are asking. And that's what I'm going to do. That's the first question. Do you think he, if he got another offer at the end of the season after not, you know, competing, not, not, not doing what he's meant to do, at Brentford, after two seasons, and if he got another offer, do you think he'd take it? Uh, I, d- I don't think he would. No, um, I, I, I don't think he's. I don't actually think he's under the pressure that some people would hope he he, he is. He's under, but um, uh, I, 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 I go back to comments I've made in the last couple of podcasts. I, I, I don't necessarily. Well, I think he's the perfect fit for Brentford. I think he is. Uh, you know, such a, a lovely. Guy, you know, we talked about Ted Lasso. It's, it's you know, it's, it's it's not it's not a million miles away, but he knows a lot more about football. Um, he, he he's he's a nice guy, and and he's respected, and every everyone likes him, apart from people that don't want to, opposition fans that want to see, you know, issues in his behaviour, his post-match comments. They want to kind of troll him, you know, and, and there are people within our own fan base that want to troll him as well. So, you know, that's for them to do. Um, and we just got need to get on with it. Um, I, I think two years after taking us to the highest position we've ever finished in my lifetime, um, I don't personally see as a, as a failure. It's a failure not to take us to the top level. But it's not all of his making, you know, whilst being a selling club, whilst being the club that Brentford are you know we have to kind of see the 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 whole the 360 degrees of what Brentford football club is um I don't I don't think he's underachieved in any way shape or form and I think he has made has has made mistakes he'll probably continue to make mistakes but unless anyone can come up with and then the name of the perfect fit Eddie Howe is, is, is always going to go back to Bournemouth. You know, that, that, that's, that's, you know, they should never have got rid of him. They should have just given him more time, you know, given him six months sabbatical, whatever Pep Guardiola got before he, you know, he, he took the job at Bayern Munich after leaving um, Barcelona. You, you know, you, you deal with these kind of personal micromanagement issues. So... I honestly think Thomas Frank is the right person for us. The players massively respect him, regardless of what the trolls think. I think you know that that's that's my 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 
personal statement for the next year is just not just not to listen to the trolls, just not listen to the hate. You know, that he's achieved big things at Brentford, Thomas Frank, things that Harry Curtis just about achieved after you know after a decade in the job. So he he, he deserves more respect than he gets. Is is my answer to that. Um, if he got a great job in Denmark, if he got a big European job, I think he's probably earned it. Um, I think Thomas Frank, for not being in control of uh, the buying and selling of players, is a is a situation that he should embrace for as long as he can, because somewhere else he might be responsible for that, which may not go his way. At the moment, he's got a, a situation where he can literally just be head coach and that is a, a very nice situation if you're a very good head coach. And I, I actually personally believe he still is. I think he's an exceptional manager. I think he's done and continues to do fantastic things for Brentford. Um, I think that people, and I include us on this, and uh, pay far too much attention to the trolls. Um, I don't think there's as many trolls as it appears uh, in some cases, and people are absolutely within their rights to have opinions about the manager and his mistakes. But you know the, the way that a lot of the trolls go about it and the abuse and stuff is just condemned outright. It's outrageous. But in terms of what he does, I think he'll lead us to promotion this season. I think next season he'll be in charge of us in the Premier League, um, and he should go down as a Brentford legend. Uh, and when people say he makes mistakes, you know, as does every single manager in every single league. Um, and as does every single player in our team regularly on a week-in, week-out basis. Um, and some of his mistakes are, are just risks or gambles that don't come off, and sometimes they're risks that perhaps he should take that he, that he doesn't. But he gets far more right than he does wrong. Um, that The players massively respect him, as Laney said, and they they clearly that, that shows when they score and they celebrate and, and how they talk. And I think he's such an intrinsic part of our club and our style and our, our ethos and our and our hashtag manners mentality that we've got that I think absolutely we should more worry about him leaving us than us asking him to leave. But I think he's in for the long term. Uh, I think he's bought into what we do and I think he, he would see it as a personal failure if he doesn't take us up because I think that's the sort of guy that he is. Uh, he's under enormous pressure and when you see him you know, facing the cameras five minutes after the game when we just, you know, let in a couple of goals at Derby or Forest and you can see the strain on him, you can see how he's how he's struggling with some of that and it's a real shame we can't be there in person to kind of show him that 90% of the fans are, are 100% behind him. Um, he's the right man for the job and at the end of the season, I don't think anyone will be able to disagree. That's a big shout by me. The question you've got to ask is, you know, is he a good manager? Is he, is he a bad manager? And not, I mean, he's undoubtedly a good manager. You know, when we were on a 21 game unbeaten run, everyone was absolutely frothing on the mouth. They thought we were absolutely brilliant. You know, you can bring into the factor that we, you know, we've had injuries. We've had all sorts of things that have obviously gone against us. And I've said this before, you know, you look at Norwich, you know, Norwich without Bandia, completely different side. Brentford without, you know, De Silva, you know, they're a different side. Brentford without, you know, Henry is a different side. If you're a manager, you know, you base your plans 
on the players that you've got and if they're not there you have to kind of change your plans and there's only so much you can do so you know listen I'll get emotional about it because sometimes I'd sit down and think you know what if somebody else was in you know in his place would he be able to get us up you know maybe they may do maybe they might not do but the fact is that that person that might come in hasn't done all the groundwork you know you know, I've seen situations where, you know, like, say, for example, me as a manager in the music industry, you end up building something for six or seven years and you've done the business and you've taken something from nowhere. And you know that somebody else that come in that could have never done what you've done, all that grassroots work, building it up, taking somebody, putting them in people's faces, doing the business. Then at the very last minute, somebody else just comes in and sweeps in and steps in and just kind of just sweeps you out the way, takes over and then takes all the glory. You know what I'm saying? But they haven't done the they, they haven't done the grassroots work and they probably wouldn't have been able to do the grassroots work. I'd say it's probably quite similar with Thomas Frank, where he's done a lot of work in getting Brentford to where they are. Yes, he's made a lot of mistakes. And you can turn around and say, Oh yeah, how could do this and 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 and, 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 and you know, whoever else manager, you know, they they're gonna go in and they can they they'll 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 do much better than him. But the fact is that if you've taken that manager and they've taken us from the journey from, you know, year dot to now we may not be in this position that we are now. We might not be playing the same football that we have. They might not have got on with the players that, we, you know, that we've got. You know, they might not, have, you know, there'll be so many different things that might have happened. So you have to look at it as a bigger picture. So coming back to this question about Thomas Frank now and whether or not he is the right person for us or, or not. The one I'll say is that if you look at Dijkhausen, we love Marinus Dijkhausen. He was great, you know, but he lasted eight weeks because we knew immediately he ain't the right person for us. So Brentford, boom, they got him out and he was gone. With Thomas Frank, he spent two years learning with us. Well, he said two years in the job and two years with um, Dean Smith, learning with Brentford, learning the game. If we got rid of Thomas Frank, and this is no reason for not getting rid of somebody just because you don't want them to go somewhere else. But if we got rid of Thomas Frank now, he will go somewhere else, probably with a bigger budget and, you know, and go there and do the business at somewhere else. Learning with all the things that he's learned at Brentford, he will do that elsewhere. Kind of what Dean Smith did at Aston Villa. Where he made a load of mistakes at Brentford. He went to Aston Villa with a load more money with Grealish and Blanc, this, that, the other, and he ended up managed to get them up. You know, and you know, Aston Villa's points total was less, much less than what we're going to get this season. They got 78 points when they got promoted that season. You know what I'm saying? So all I'm trying to say to you is that be careful what you wish for. Thomas Frank has been learning for two years with I, us. I, I tell you why, it's, it's about, it's like being at a really good party and then you've got like a group of kids in the corner going, this is a really shit party, this is a really shit party, this is a really shit party. And in the end, you think, this, maybe it isn't a great party. But we're actually at a really good party and I, I think we ought to just enjoy it a bit more. And of course, expectation rises and, and, and of course, you know, you want to see your club learn the lessons of, of last year's you know what was a failure in the end you can either see it as a a massive success that ended up in your club losing the the biggest prize in world football which is the the you know the playoff final to the to the premiership um a, a game that i never ever thought i would ever see brentford playing um and then we're competing again um the next year uh it, it it's a really really hard one and, and, you know, for all the reasons that I've kind of laid out, you know, for the five or six decades that I've seen Brentford play, and I've seen us play in the 70s, 80s, 90s, noughties, teenies, 20s. That's six different decades that I've seen 
Brentford playing. And this is still by far the best football, best football club I've ever supported. And I, I, I would have continued supporting them when they were awful. I didn't enjoy it very much, you know, under Andy Scott for a, for a, for a number of years, under Butcher, um, under Rissignor. You know, we've we've seen some shit, you know, and that and that's why I I think we can draw upon that and speak and 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 justifiably say, you know, this this is this is good, you know. So um, I I don't, I don't think Thomas Frank's going anywhere. I don't want him to go anywhere. Um, and unless you can name the perfect fit, I think it was sharp. And also the other thing is because he's he's a good bloke and, and he had a beer of us in the pub and talk for hours. Well, and yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, of course, yeah, yeah, that's right. But anyway, look. It's International Week this week and Beast fans switch to supporting whatever international team takes their fancy for a couple of weeks. Ollie Watkins, he did Beast fans proud this week, made his debut and he also scored for England against San Marino. Now Fleet John and Adam Velasco, they give their thoughts as what's made them happy in the international windows back in the day. Brentford and England fan here, Fleet John. Um, Billy, I understand that you've been to every single World Cup and European Championship since 1988. Seriously impressive. Um, my favourite ever England game was my uh, first England away game in uh, Munich, where I was lucky enough to watch England beat Germany 5-1 back in 2001. Uh, regrettably, it's probably been downhill ever since then. Um from the outside looking in, and uh, unfortunately, I wasn't born. Uh, you know, I was born too late to experience it in person. But my favourite World Cup has to be Italia '90 uh, for a combination of the uh, music at the time, the clothes, and the fashion, um, and of course, the football as well. What a what a great team we had back then with uh, Lineker and Gaza and Shilton uh, amongst others. Um, Ultimately, though, my uh, question to you would be, out of all those tournaments you've been lucky enough to go to, what's the one that stood out the most? And uh, what are the, the reasons why? Which one of you enjoyed the most? So, um, yeah, look, looking forward to uh, to hearing what you've got to say. Thanks so much. Cheers. Hi, this is Adam Velasco. I'm actually a Wickham Wanderers fan, but um, I've always had a keen interest in Brentford, fan of the pod, and also big fans of uh, Billy and Laney. I've been lucky enough to go to every tournament since USA 94. And, you know, I loved every second of every trip I've been on. Uh, Favourite is a tough one, but I would say probably Japan 02. Mainly because it was the first time being an England fan where the locals wanted to be your friend and rather try and fight you, which was a, a, a lovely experience. Great country, great people. Uh, yeah, just brilliant all around. And, but England should have won the World Cup really that year. It was there for the taking. So, Billy, you are known as Mr England, or the face of England fans over the years. Um, but what is your favourite tournament that you've been to? Uh, I know I've seen you at many tournaments around the world and you've always looked like you're having a great time. But which one is your absolutely best? Also... We had a quite a memorable trip to Kazakhstan um, with Billy and Laney. Uh, a great trip had by all. What is your favourite non-tournament England game? You know, like you, you know, we've been all around the world watching England in these games. For me, I'd have to say the most memorable, you know, and I have to go by the result is the England 5-1 in Munich. I'd love to live that day again. 
My favourite England tournament has to be Euro 96. It's the only one that I've had England tickets for. And what happened was that in 1994, a colleague at work said, did you know if you've got a season ticket for any club, you can buy Euro 96 tickets now? My brother and I thought about it and realised we were never going to get a World Cup in England in our lifetime. So we decided to really splash out and we bought three tickets for every single game at Wembley in the tournament. To go to the final, you had to go to a semi. To go to a semi, you had to go to a quarter. To go to a quarter, you had to go to the three group games. And we just went for it. It cost about £900, but it was still was worth every penny. And I still have brilliant memories of it now. The atmosphere at every game, the joy, the, England, the football's coming home, the plastic hats you got at Wembley Park on your way down to the ground. The Holland game was probably the best thing, the performance I've ever seen live in my life. Uh, the Germany game was almost like being a, a, a disappointing Brentford game. And even the final, which England weren't in, was still worth being at, even though friends of mine with tickets decided not to go when England were knocked out. We decided to take different people with us to each game with the third ticket. So my brother's Scottish flatmate, of course, came to the Scotland game, which uh, he didn't really enjoy. And we took my late father to the final. I'm so pleased we did, because only a few months after that, when he started getting ill, and uh, he's not been with us for a long time now. Um, the, the, every game was a celebration, and that is my favourite England tournament of all time. Hi, it's GP here. My favourite international tournament, uh, for me, it's Spain 82. I'd only just started watching football um, probably about 12 months earlier. So, it was, you know, that about 81, 82 season was like my first season of properly actually sitting down and watching match of the day and, um, and on the ball every like weekend. And then I started playing football. So, we then arrived at this tournament and you had... All these guys I'd seen playing and playing against each other, the best of them just got lumped into this tournament. They just got thrown into this fantastic tournament. Uh, when you look at the, you know, that Italian team was amazing. But when you look at the quality of teams that didn't win that tournament, you know, West Germany, you've got like the Rummenigge and people like that. And they got absolutely murdered. You know, they knocked out, you know, the French team with the likes of Platini and Gires, Tigana and all that. You know, obviously the Brazilian team, you don't have to, you know, mention like to Zico, Zico Socrates and people like that. You know, and even, I'm not being afraid, look at the Scotland team. The Scotland team was absolutely fantastic. You had Joe Jordan, Sue Ness, Dalgleish, all these, you know, all these guys, the Aberdeen guys that were just about to start to um, dominate Scotland, the Liverpool players, the Celtic players. So for me, that was like, you know, my favourite. And as I said, it just cemented my really did cement my love for football. Robin Hood, I think my favourite international tournament ever has to be the 2018 World Cup. Yes, fair enough, it's the most, the freshest in the memory, but it was just a fantastic summer of football. Often I find international tournaments excruciating just because there's always that inevitability of a, of a faltering England performance where we don't really go well in the group stages and it all goes to pot in the uh, knockouts when we just scraped through second of our group but that just wasn't the case this uh, in the sum in this time in the summer of 2018 when we really did drive and there was a real sort of spirit behind the nation great squad of players good manager who really sort of captured the hearts and minds of our of all of the fans across football fans across the UK or England I should say and I think the the it had everything that an England tournament should have it had penalties it had drama it had some lacklustre performances it had some great goals but it's just the moments that it provided Eric Dyer scoring that penalty that winning penalty in the shootout to send us through from, against Colombia Kieran Trippier's free kick against Croatia Harry Kane's hat it, it, it was just it was just a fantastic summer of football and yes people will talk about how we lost to Croatia in the semis and didn't make the final and yeah that was a little bit disappointing 
but in that same sense, it gave the whole nation a really great summer, the whole it's coming home social media storm that took over. It was absolutely brilliant and it was a joy to be a part of. And here's hoping we can go one better the next time. Will the spreadsheet winker. So my earliest memory as a child, I think I was two years old, is actually the 2002 World Cup. I was on holiday with my parents and my grandparents. I remember being woken up uh, crying because my dad and my grandpa were shouting so loudly that England had scored. But my favourite international tournament has to be the 2018 World Cup. I was 18, it was the summer after my A-levels. I was able to go to the pub for the first time, so that was obviously excellent. The weather was amazing. I was playing lots of gigs with my band. We actually played three lines at one show, which was fantastic, just after beating Sweden. And we tried to get in a pub uh, post-gig and we literally couldn't move for people. Everyone was in England shirts. People were singing Vindaloo by Fat Les like it was the national anthem. I was in a mate's garden for the Columbia penalty shootout. We went absolutely mental after we finally won. It was absolutely fantastic and a really, really idyllic period that I remember really well with my friends. So there you go. Fleet John, Adam Velasco and the esteemed panel, you know, the will. The Robin Hood, the Ian Westbrook and GP Gary Paul talking about kind of international things that warm the cockles of their heart. And there's, a, there's a few things in there as well. I mean, John talked about um, England beating Germany 5-1, which is his first kind of like, you know, memory, a really big game, one that he really, really enjoyed. And that was a, that was a, that was a memorable trip for us, wasn't it, Laney? Oh, Christ, yes. That, that's one of those no-one-can-take-that-away-from-me moments. That was, uh, yeah, it was a ridiculous journey that I remember turning up at Luton and uh, the, missing the plane missing the plane because the, the the police and the border authorities were checking everyone's passports that involves a phone call back to the passport HQ and we missed our flight nothing to do with us so EasyJet or well it was EasyJet we, we just said okay there's no more flights to Munich where we'll go to Prague and then we ended <laughs> up in Prague for the night and we had a really good night apart from Bearded Jeff who got his phone stolen by a woman with man's hands and um and uh he yeah we we then had to hire a car to drive from prague across the border and then, no no we took the train oh so yeah Dreadful. train to dresden, dresden. yeah the, yeah. Uh, yeah train to dresden hired a car and then drove from dresden to munich and then made on the motorway there was that there's uh, the, 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 the helicopter came the, yeah, the air ambulance. The it was That's right. it was it was proper like life in hands, and then we were goal down in whatever it was, and then uh, we won five one in Munich, and you know it was just it was you couldn't write it. So uh, yeah, it was. Uh, I, I think one of one or two of our crew have not gone to an England game since then because they said yeah. there's no chance of beating that. I'll give up. That's right, that's Spriggsy. Spriggsy yeah. said that he's not going to go to another England game. Thing. And I thought, yeah, right, Spriggsy, because he went to a few England games before us and he literally has never been to an England game since because he says that will never be beaten. It's also interesting because Will talks about Vindaloo. And I know, I mean, I don't talk too much about the sort of music experiences, but Vindaloo, the Keith Allen record, I actually I actually signed that, which is, uh, which is quite a weird experience. Signed it after a sort of an evening in a, in a, in a flat in Notting Hill with Keith Allen and uh, Damien... Was it Damien? Um, Damien? No, 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 no. Hurst? It was the artist, Hurst. Damien Hurst. That's right. Damien Hurst as well, who's from Exeter. And he was he was all over the place, Damien Hurst. And there's also this PR guy from Freud's PR. And we just sat there. And I remember T- Keith Allen was just jumping up. He put it as a cassette as well. Put the cassette 
into the cassette player in this flat in Notting Hill, and he said, right, mate, and it's like, you know, I've got to say, oh, all right, Bill, what are you doing? So he's just marching up and down singing, Vindaloo, Vindaloo, oh. And I'm like, oh, is this bloke, he's, he's a bit mad, like, you know what I'm saying? Anyway, he turned around, and he started to tell me the story of Vindaloo. He goes, right, it's sad, it's right. I was just, I went to Bristol City, and I heard this song, and I was singing it, and I just looked at him, and I went, Bristol City, who do you support? And he goes, Fulham. And I just couldn't help it. I went, oh, no. <laughs> and he went to me, you're not Brentford, are you? And I went, yeah. And after that, we just got on like a house on fire. So we were chatting away. I mean, Damien Hurst had got no idea what's going on. I don't think he was even at football. The PR guy is not really interested. The other guy that came from with the record label just sitting there and me and Keith Allen were just talking about, do you go here? Do you go to Bristol? Oh, do you be Chesterfield? Have you been there? Just chatting away for ages. And in the end, he, goes, he gives me this coat. He said, look, you know, so do you want to sign the record? And I said, well, I only... um." You know, normally what I do is I, t- I take the records, I put them on my football trips and we put them in, you know, we play them on my coaches. And if it's good, then, you know, we know it's a good tune. So he goes, here you go, mate. He came with a cassette. And that night I didn't have a football trip, but my mate's leaving party. He had a boat party in, not in, in, in just down the canal, just down the road. So anyway, <laughs> we said this party, it was the Wills. You remember the Wills? Yeah, he was yeah, leaving. The Wills. Yeah. So I- the Wills. That's right. Yeah. So he got the Wills and I got down at the end of the party, I put the cassette in at the end very end of the party and I put it and everyone's pissed up we put it on the whole boat just went off the following day called up Keith Allen and goes how'd it go down I said not be funny mate it all went off on the boat we'll have it because that was it so we signed (laughs) is that the the night you signed MC Kinky as well no that was a different night actually (laughs) but that was it but that was quite funny actually really really good bloke Keith Allen but that's a that's a deviation but I mean I know you know John was asking you know what was my favourite tournament. And I'm going to say, hands down, never to be beaten. The Japan World Cup was an unbelievable tournament. It was absolutely fantastic and it will never be beaten. It was a bit of a shame because, you know, I said to you, I've been to, you know, all the tournaments before that since 88. um, And I went to, I was going to go to Japan. And I know that we kind of went to, you know, in in 2000, we went to Belgium and, and Holland and we were out there and we had a bit of a laugh. And then, that was a little bit moody, and then we came to Japan, and the, what I found is that none of my mates wanted to go to Japan because the whole, you know, rumours came around, Japan's going to be really expensive and all this kind of stuff, and so I also set my mind on not going to Japan, so I wasn't going to go, and I remember you weren't going to go, Tut wasn't going to go, like no one was going to go, and so I thought I'm going to go on my own, so I knocked it on the head, and then in the end I thought, you know, I couldn't help it, I thought, oh, bollocks, I'll go in the end, bought a flight, went over there. Within the first night, you meet a couple of characters in the bar. The second night, you meet some more characters. The thing that was really good about it is that you that you didn't have a mobile phone because they were on um, a different band to us. So we were on sort of band three or whatever it was, and they're on band four, and your phones didn't work in Japan. So the only way that you can actually get a phone to work is if you hired a phone. So, of course, I thought, and they said, you just pick up one at the airport. So I thought, okay, I'll pick up one at the airport. Of course, you turn up at the airport, and they're all sold out. And everywhere in Japan, they're sold out. So you couldn't get a phone. So what you found is that you went to the bar. So you had to find out, like, you know, where you're going to have a drink. Where's everyone drinking? Rapongi. All right, we'll go to Rapongi, have a drink. You meet all these characters. You get on well with them. You say, oh, are we going to drink tomorrow? We'll drink you know, tomorrow. Okay, we'll meet you tomorrow, 7.30. So you actually had to sort of meet people, have you know, have an arrangement and meet them the following day. And it was brilliant because you had to be there because if you weren't there, you didn't hook up. So it was greatest World Cup, all the Japanese the hospitality was great. Um, they tried to do the old kind of 
England fans, a hooligans type thing where the authorities did. I remember I went up to a Sapporo and I got this leaflet and the leaflet, you know, read it. Somebody read it to me. said, have you seen this leaflet? And it was the mayor and the mayor said um, something like, ladies and gentlemen, the English are coming. Lock up your daughters. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, literally, that's what it said. Mm-hmm. And it just said, you know, don't go out in the night. The English are going to come here. They're just going to cause lots of problems. You, all the English, different bars. Everyone was just like really, really in a good mood. Everyone was starting to wear colours. That's the first World Cup where everyone started to wear colours. They thought, tell you something, we don't care about this. All colours. Anyway, after the game, England beat Argentina 1-0. It was one of the, it's probably my best game ever. You know, Beckham scores in 10 minutes and the penalty we <laughs> held on for 80 minutes and it was just the atmosphere in the ground was fantastic. The Argentinians, there's loads of Argentinians in the, in the, in the game because Argentinians seem to bring a lot of fans to, to all the tournaments. So there's loads of them in the game and they were properly moody as well. They weren't friendly, you know, it wasn't that manners thing. Like, you know, all the English were actually quite friendly but they weren't friendly at all. But the funny thing is after the game, we went out after the game, not one Argentinian in town at all they all just basically went back to their hotels because they're just they haven't got they've got a different mentality and you walked into um Sapporo town and the, the weather it was really warm it's like shorts weather it's like a real hot summer evening and you walked into it and every single bar basically had a party outside inside and outside so all you did is you just walked around Sapporo and there was just these massive parties happening on the street corner of every single bar it was fantastic but the best thing about it is that all the Japanese instead of locking up their daughters they'd all come out for the night and they'd all come down to the bars and they're in sort of white wigs with sort of red and white you know their faces are painted red and white and they're turning up in the bar singing all the songs with all the English and just really having a good time I stayed up till I think I went to bed about nine o'clock in the morning that day because everyone stayed up all night. It was absolutely fantastic. And that whole tournament just went on like that. It will absolutely and totally never be beaten. I wish I got I could have gone. It was it, it coincided with my daughter being born that year. It was it was just not possible. I remember giving you my tickets to to get rid of went out there and just feeling and watching the games back and back in Hampton Hill and just like wishing I was there but you know it's the way the way you know life life sometimes you've got to do what you've got to do we've had some incredible trips Bill um Kazakhstan going to Almaty it was stringy cheese dressing up drinking fermented camel's milk being further east than Bombay watching a European qualifying group world cup England qualifier was just ridiculous brilliant night in Istanbul and uh, then flying another eight hours east to watch watch the game um, stunning never but hopefully I'll go back and then you know South Africa um, watching you know Lampard's goal being that was about disallowed. eight foot across the line being disallowed and then ringing home to saying oh the goal was in um, you know, then the Germany, the, the Germany trip was was just fun. Uh, then, yeah, as you say, the, the you know the Belgian Holland game, um, but Belgian Holland tournament rather. It was getting trains here, there, and everywhere. Yeah, we've 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 had some adventures, mate, and I and I'm you know it's a shame that we've got to look to Qatar for the next one. To be honest, because there aren't adventures to be had there. I I, I would rather it be in. Portugal or Spain or oh, the, mate, mate do you remember the drive um, flying into um, Madrid Madrid and, Madrid and then hiring a van and then driving all the way to Lisbon in that little castle enclaved 
place. We stopped for lunch in this just wonderful. We've we've had the so time, you were 2004, that time, was, yeah. time of our lives following yeah. England and following Brentford, and you know that's why it's always best to be glass half full because there is so much fun to be had in being a football fan, and it's about celebrating that. It's about remembering it. And then looking forward and, and planning more. And then let's plan loads more. Uh, that's right. And then the thing with, I think, with the England thing is very similar to, to Brentford. <laughs> they, they just don't win. But, you know, no, so no, you end always, up going they there. Fuck it, they fuck it up. Yeah, they do. Every time. <laughs> so you go in there for the away day. I'm, I was thinking about this. I mean, you mentioned South Africa, but I actually went to, and, you know, they were talking about what's my, you know, one of my favourite non-tournament trips, actually. And I actually went to South Africa in 2003 for a friendly, as you do. England played a friendly. And oh, I'll tell you something, what a fantastic trip that was. And we went to South Africa. We went to Johannesburg, first of all. And then we went to Joburg. Um, there's a load of us, including, you know, Biscuits, Iggy, Tart, you know, the QPR fan, Chelsea fan, Liverpool fan you know just a load of us went there and then we ended up finding out who the top boy for the Kaiser Chiefs was so we ended up going to Kaiser which is Saddam who you always see him on TV with the big glasses you know for South Africa Saddam so we got to meet him and then he took us to Kaiser Chiefs game Kaiser Chiefs game and um, uh, so we went there and we met all the Kaiser Chiefs and the, I think they played the Morocco Swallows. It was quite funny. They they took their end, actually. It was quite funny. The Morocco Swallows ended up sort of kind of throwing water bombs at them to try and get them out their end. It, it was quite bad because the Kaiser Chiefs are kind of sort of like the Man United sort of of, of, of of South African football. They've got loads of fans everywhere and they, every game that they play, they just bring thousands of fans. So they sort of kind of invaded the Morocco Swallows end and the Swallows fans weren't happy. You know, I think there's a sort of conga through their end and stuff like that. And then after that, a few weeks later we we uh, a few days later we went to orlando pirates who are the rivals of the of the chiefs the other um, um um soweto team as well and they're like more street like you know the actual soweto team as opposed to the joburg team and we met the top boy there as well his name is zion and he said you know you must come to our game and we're like okay so we went to his you know come to our game um he said meet us in hillbrow which we didn't realize is you know one of the sort of slightly um, more dodgiest areas in, in Johannesburg and we were in the corner just waiting there nothing happened to us we were totally cool people are coming up to us all like minding us minibus turns up hilarious minibus turns up there's a 24 of us in this 12 seater minibus and we went to the game which is actually in uh, Rustenburg which is about sort of three or four hours drive outside of uh, Johannesburg and uh, what's happened is that then they uh, they actually ended up we got there at half time in the end they ended up winning the league so we actually saw them win the league there was all sorts of pitch invasions and everything like that we were involved in we came back there was a party in a petrol station that we were involved in so we turned up the petrol station they all just Bombardist petrol station had a bit of a dance that was a laugh and then uh, then we came back and then after that we ended up going to Durban for the England game the England game was in Durban I met the the, the, the high commissioner for uh, for for England the the, the 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 UK high commissioner Anne Grant is her name good name actually and uh, ended up getting on with her I ended up having to do a speech it was interesting I had to do this speech about racism in football so there was me doing this speech you get in front of all these dignitaries in Durban and there's also this guy called Sam Ramasamy if you if you google him he was like a massive anti-apartheid campaigner in the in the 80s and the 90s and so it's you so it's me and Sam Ramasamy doing this speech in front of all these dignitaries and Anne Grant came up to me and I said oh, I thought I really loved your speech Billy I'm like oh, thank you you know you know Sam you know no, so that was like a proud moment she goes oh where are you going after she goes I'm going to Cape Town she goes oh where are you staying I said oh, I don't know you've got no idea where she's saying because well if you want to go down there you could stay in my house I'm like huh 
She goes, yeah, stay in my house. You know, so I won't be there, but, you know, if you just turn up, you know, Freddie will be there, he'll let you in, and just no problem, you can all stay there. So basically, all of us lot, you know, me, Big Russ, you know, Iggy, QBR fan, Brentford fan, Chelsea fan, Liverpool fan, you know, about six or seven of us, we all turned up. Car balls up in, in Cape Town in this massive the piss. <laughs> massive mansion <laughs> of the British High Commissioner. I just put this up and there's this great photograph of us all lined up in our football shirts with the, just in the house, you know, in the background and Table Mountain right in the background as well. And, uh, you know, it's fantastic. We turned up there, sort of kind of ready, just gave us a bottle of gin and tonic, you know, a gin and tonic as we sat down there, put our feet up. We had about five days. Was it al- alcoholic? It was alcoholic, this one as well. And the interesting thing as well, just to show you about South Africa, is I remember, so we'd gone out that night up in Long Street. The following nights, every night we're going up in Long Street. There's a bar called 169. And long if there's any South African fans listening here, you'll probably know this place. We used to go there every night, 169, along wicked, wicked, wicked um, um, bar club. And after that, we'd have to get a taxi back to where we were staying, where it's the High Commissioner's house. And I remember telling the taxi drivers, I'm going back to the High Commissioner's house. And he looked at me like I was a piece of shit. And basically, he didn't believe as a black person that I was going to stay in this area. And in the end, I remember having a massive fight with him, you know, as in, you know, if I, you know, he's going to, what are you doing? He's just you know, having kicking off. And I end up sort of kind of getting kicked out of his cab or having to leave his cab. And I called my mate, uh, uh, Gravy, who was at the High Commissioner's house, and he uh, had to come out and sort of kind of rescue me. But the cab drivers, the Afrikaners, a lot of the cab drivers, you could see, um, I could see the racism that was kind of seeped in quite deep in South Africa. And they basically didn't like the fact that they had to drive a black person, you know, from the centre of Cape Town to this very, very nice house in the middle of a very nice area in Cape Town. They did not like it at all. So that was a bit of a learning experience for me and and in Cape Town. But yeah, those are my two big matches, my two big tournament and my big non-England tournament. Dutchman, I remember seeing you at one time as well in um, Switzerland, wasn't it? You saw me on my own England away. I feel very jealous listening to your your old man reminiscing about uh, the tournaments you've been to. I've, I've never done a tournament, much to my regret, uh, particularly the SA one, for, obviously for family reasons. But we did, yeah, a, a bizarre decision to go to Switzerland uh, with a couple of mates and then bumping into you and a couple of other characters that I'd met through you before. And it was my first experience of England away. Um, Very I, wet, wasn't it? It was bloody wet, mate. It was horrendously wet, crammed into those trams, uh, just going wherever the <laughs> whatever train you could get on didn't really matter what direction um, but it was good I'm, I'm not sure it made me want to rush back to, to random England away games but I'd certainly like to do a tournament before I'm I have to say that I'm going to say this as well it wasn't the best away day you know it, it probably would have ranked in one of, sort of my top my bottom five away days that Switzerland trip a bit more of a functional trip it was expensive and it just wasn't much of a vibe to be quite honest with you uh, and it was a bit of an in and out one for me as well. So, um, you know, you've got to, I think you need to take a little bit of advice as the places to go to. And uh, normally the rule of thumb is the further away from England you go, the better it is as well. Like, you know, so, you know. Yeah, yeah I, I had a really good time. Don't get me wrong. It was a, it was a fantastic bit. It was the, the kind of football and some of the England fans weren't. Um, the most welcoming, which was disappointing. Um, well, as I say to you, the, the further you go away from England, though, Dutch, I'm telling you. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure. No, I, I get that. But the trip itself, just like just like beast trips, is amazing. Yeah, it's another. I think I had three days over there just for <laughs> for one game of football, which is always good. Yeah, which is all good. But anyway, listen. You know, we're talking about football. We're talking a little bit about music. We're talking about all sorts here. And some people say that music and football go hand in hand. 
Now, Luby Lou from Brighton, he's a Bees fan and he's properly into his music. And he wanted to throw a little musical edge into the podcast. Hi, this is Lewis. I live in Brighton and I'm a season ticket holder and I go to the games with my son, Billy, who's 16. I listen to a lot of music. I'm a big music fan and uh, I've got two favourite songs, both from years ago. One is a reggae track called I Love You So by Carl Balliston on Jar Observer record label. The other is a tune called Second Skin by the Chameleons, uh, a Manchester band. Uh, it's still going, actually, but recorded that song about 20 years ago. So uh, I was wondering what uh, the favourite song uh, is of members of the Besotted crew. Uh, and I'm thinking of songs other than classics, such as Bus Stop and Hounslow and Bees Up Full and Down. What's your favourite song? liberal Tom Fiddler. For me, I'm choosing a song that I've enjoyed watching live. I've enjoyed playing on Guitar Hero, in which I am a little bit of a guitar god, uh, but also just generally just sounds epic in your ears. It's Nice of Sidonia by Muse. I, I saw them at Reading in 2011 when they played uh, Origins of Symmetry in full, and it sounded incredible, and every time I hear it, I get a kind of tingle with uh, with excitement of, of when it breaks down at the end. It's just building up. It's an epic, but a modern-day epic. Just a huge tune. Uh, I'm a real big fan of kind of guitar rock anyway, as it is. I kind of thought about some of my other indie bangers, but nothing quite compares to the sound of Knights of Zidonia. Will the Spreadsheet Winker. So my favourite song of all time comes from a 1991 album. It's Birdhouse in Your Soul by They Might Be Giants. It's got some of the best, most cryptic, weird lyrics ever. The song literally opens with the line, I'm your only friend, I'm not your only friend, but I'm a little glowing friend, but really I'm not actually your friend, but I am. And if you can figure that out, then you're cleverer than I am. It's just incredibly uplifting. It's a great tune. I've seen it live twice, which is obviously amazing. And uh, looking forward to seeing it live again after um, after COVID is all over and done. So there you go. Luby Lou from Brighton with a quite eclectic music taste, it's got to be said. And uh, also Will the Spreadsheet Winker and Liberal Tom as well, just throwing in their tuppence worth. And it's interesting because, you know, Luby Lou, that, that Carl Balliston track, as well, which is, uh, you know, like a little bit of dub reggae as well. It's just a proper throwback. And I don't know that tune as well. And I, I liked it. And it kind of reminds me, I know that we've been talking on the podcast quite a lot about a few of the stuff that we were watching down on during the lockdown. And, and one of the programs that we watched was, uh, 
you know, uh, well, Babylon was one of the tunes, one of the programs that I used to watch or back in the day, which is if you don't see it, I think it's on Amazon, it's on on Netflix at the moment now, but definitely watch that old school Babylon uh, film, which is something that I actually showed to my kids when I was doing my If You Know Your History. I was showing them about black London and and, and, and history of, of black Londoners or black British people and what we had to go through and what it was like back in the 70s. And uh, they were a little bit like, oh, this is all old. But like I said, by the end of it, they were totally transfixed, that Babylon movie as well, which is really interesting, talking about racism, talking about, you know, music back in the day. And that kind of Carl Balliston track, I thought would have fitted straight into that. And also Small Axe as well, which is another thing. If you want, if you know your history, you should definitely check that out. That whole series on iPlayer as well, which talks about black British history, which is something that I am very much into, as you know, you know, and uh, like I said to you, I I like to educate my kids on that because it's something that is not necessarily taught in schools because, uh, well, because they haven't quite got to the program of actually kind of having a more rounded thought and educating people in the whole of British history instead of just one section of British history, but which is all cool. But um, Laney, I know you like a little bit of music, just... What is your favourite tune of all time? Oh my god! So I, I I knew this question was coming. So I I did a I did a like about a twelve k walk today, and I just on my walk I just thought about this and played a lot of tracks that I would never ever tire of listening to. Tracks that you could play again and again and again and again and again and never get bored of. And so this is this was on my list of tracks of bands that I will I could listen to from beginning to end and then backwards and forwards and never get tired of them. Not nineteen forever by the Cortinas is on that list. Um, Ladies' fingers by Luscious Jackson is on that list. Temptation by New Order is on that list. Um, Moving in Mountains by The Shaman is on that list. Just Fascination by Cabaret Voltaire is on that list. Munich by Editors is on that list. Orbital's Halcyon is on that list. The one of recent months is uh, Overtones by Frost, which is on that list. But in football terms, in football Pound Shilling and Pence, the song that I will never ever tire of listening to is The Referee's a Wanker. Because more often than not, <laughs> he fucking is. <laughs> the, the Dutchman. Yeah, I, I like a lot of Laney's ones actually. They've they've made sense. Um I can go too trendy and too deep on them and they've got no political message. Uh, every time I'd always answer my favourite song being The Perfect Kiss by New Order. in one podcast but for me the perfect song I saw them on tour many times when that came out 
um, as that song developed, no lyrics, making up the lyrics, adding to it, and then just becoming my all-time favourite. Uh, football songs also weighing a little bit, like Laney's got the word wanker in it, but it was... Um, I just love the number, number, number three, number three, number Brilliant. three. Um, wink, 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 wink. And you always worry when squad numbers got bigger, you know, how are you going to shoehorn number 47 into that song? But you can, because you just drop one of the, the numbers. So you just go number, number 47, 47. Wink, 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 wink. Um, it's, just, it's just a classic. Um, it's All Your Fault is, is up there as well as one of my favourites, just because that felt unique. I don't, I don't know if it was unique, but it always felt unique. Um, and it did absolutely traumatise several goalkeepers back in the day when everyone got singing it. So, uh, yeah, simple ones. I, I always, mm. I always, pref- I always preferred. It's still your fault. <laughs> and and its follow up, the yeah. um, the sequel, That's it's right. all your fault, um, is it, also good. And I think as as players come and go a bit more these days, there seems to be less songs about players specifically, doesn't there? So perhaps we're just going retro back to the nameless abusive songs uh, as, as part of terrorising the opposition um, yeah I mean, for me I mean favourite song I have to admit I, I, I actually really really struggle on favourite song just because uh, you know okay you know being into music for years you know then DJing for years and then going to the music industry for years being A&R for years and running my own record label for years and what, then what I realised is that after time went on the way that I started to listen to music was really different. So you, you almost like had a bit of a kind of attention span deficit for listening to music. So I then started to listen to music um, in bits. So you listen to the kind of the <laughs> the beginning, the first verse, second chorus, catch you right there, middle eight, you know, you might be out by then or you keep flipping it on, you know, because you were always kind of looking for the bite, looking for the tune, whether it's right or wrong. So I found myself listening to music in really different ways and, you know, going through all the different eras from the, you know, Scar era to the kind of warehouse era, the rare groove era, acid jazz era, jungle era, you know, garage, you know, UKG, you know, I've been through the, you know, the R&B and this era, I've been through them all, which at those particular times, there are songs that I absolutely love. So it, it, I find it really hard to, to actually choose the track and so what I was just doing is I was thinking what might just been looking you know listened to recently which might be a little bit retro as well and you know there's a few bits and pieces from the from the old acid jazz era like you know Miles Davis Miles which is the tune which you know which I, which I love you know Gilberto Gil um, Toda Menia Baina which is uh, a tune of my Brazilian roots I mean I should know everything about that <laughs> you know Toda menina baiana tem um santo que Deus dá Toda menina baiana tem encanto que Deus dá Toda menina baiana tem um jeito que Deus dá Toda menina baiana tem defeito também que Deus dá Apparently nothing which actually stemmed out of the acid jazz era which is a mate of mine, Femi Fen as well from the from the young disciples and marco as well and that whole acid jazz scene i was so into that you know you could pick up you know, a million tunes out of that acid jazz scene and i was massively into that but the young disciples i love them as well specials old school days you know actually but there was a load of specials tunes as well like, you know probably message to you rudy which was the one for me which i kind of remember that went through the eras mm-hmm. yeah, that's right that stop you messing around loose ends hanging on a string that era i mean they were just 
they just defined a different era, you know, loose ends. And then from the hip hop era, Eric B and Rakim, Eric B is president. What a tune. And Tribe Called Quest, a war tour as well, you know, massively influenced my life in and around the sort of kind of late 80s, early 90s, you know, Brentford era as well. So there's loads of tunes. So hard for me to pick my own tune, but I've thrown a load of them into the pot there as well, which is interesting to throw a musical influence on this podcast. But tell you something. Pick a tune, Grant. Pick a tune. I can't answer choose. The question. I can't answer choose on the them. Really, I, I, I can't Bill, choose. I can't choose on them. You, you, you know, you know what your favourite tune is. It's, it's the Music Man. <laughs> you are the Music Man. You come, come from, from round down your your What do you play? I can play the Gary Blizzard. <laughs> You, yes, mate. So, any pub after any failed promotion playoff attempt and a piano, Billy was there trying to put a smile back on our faces, and he more often than not did it. And it didn't quite ever get rid of the pain of not being promoted, but it meant we had a great night. So, Bill, cheers, mate. You are the music. You are the music man. That's right. Well, let's fingers crossed. I won't have to bring the piano back out at the end of this season, <laughs> anyway. But we will see because as we know, we're going to be back in the globe in a few weeks' time, which is hey. But listen, I was just about to wind this podcast up, and I got an emergency call from Mrs. Fleet, the wife of Fleet John, and she was a tad concerned, and she needed a bit of reassurance. So this is what Mrs. Fleet had to say. Hi, Mrs Fleet here, accidental listener turned somewhat lurker thanks to Fleet John. I have a question for Billy. Do you ever worry there will come a day that you'll talk to Pat and she will have given up on the bees? And if that happens, what will you say to her, Bill? Finally, as someone who loves listening to Pat's post-match analysis, in fact, it's fair to say it's what I tune in for, is there any chance Pat could have her own spot on the besotted team? My name is Pat Marshall and I have been a passionate Bees fan for many years, like many others. When we all found out we were leaving Griffin Park, we all felt sad because Griffin Park was a special place with a great atmosphere creating great memories. But now I cannot wait to go into the new stadium and make that a special place like Griffin Park was, creating new memories and creating that special atmosphere again. Hearing the fans cheering Brentford on and willing them to do well as they deserve it. And no matter how many times Bill asked me in, in the pub, I will always support Brentford through thick and thin, whether they are up or down. I love Brentford and I love the game. So come on, Brentford, we can do this. Up the bees. So there you go, Mrs Fleet. Thank you for making that call and thank you, Pat, for giving us the reassurance because that is the reassurance that I needed, that you needed. Boys, I know that you needed that as well to know that Pat will never, ever, ever give up on the bees. I never, I never doubted it for, for one <laughs> millisecond. <laughs> well, well like I said Mrs Fleet was a little bit nervous a little bit worried about that one but we can all be reassured but listen this has been the besotted question time podcast I hope you've enjoyed it it's probably been a little bit long 
because it's been the first one. But we thought we'd throw it out there because it's locked down and you've got nothing else to do but to listen to things and watch things on TV. So I hope you enjoyed it. Listen, go to iTunes or whatever your podcast channel is and give us a like and give us a very nice review. We love that as well. Also, go to besotta.com forward slash beer. That's our Kofi channel. And if you want to support us, you can do. If you don't want to, that's no problem at all. But we really appreciate everyone that supported us. But I... I'm Billy Grant here, and I've really enjoyed sitting down there, doing a bit of a reminisce, asking loads of questions, and getting a little bit of feedback, and just getting a little bit of a vibe from uh, the people that have been listening to our show over the years. Lane, have you enjoyed it? Uh, to be honest, mate, I've absolutely loved it, and I'm I'm going to go and play one of the tracks off of my can't get enough of list, which is almost Depeche Mode, can't get enough. But I'm going to go and play Ladies Fingers by Luscious Jackson straight after this track. That's good. And Dutchman, have you had a laugh? It's been great. It's been an absolute pleasure uh, doing that and talking nonsense and, and music and football. What, what, what could be better? And, and having a beer with alcohol in it, sorry, uh, at the same time. Um, so, yeah, let, let's hope our captive audience <laughs> likes it. Uh, as you say, um, they've got no choice. But it's been great fun. And I, I hope the kind of concept and idea is, is something that people like and look forward to doing it again or listening to others doing it and getting their opinions on random nonsense bill can i ask can i can i make a request bill just very quickly can i hear you say i can do the magnificent seven can i hear you say that and then us do it i can do the magnificent seven (laughs) (laughs) and on that note everybody thanks very much for listening to us thank you much for tuning in Thank you, us, for putting all your Gary, questions Gary, in. Thank you, Gary, everybody. Bless it, Gary. Bless very, it, very Gary. much appreciated. <laughs> Check out the next podcast, <laughs> Volume 2 of the Besotted Question Time podcast. will be coming out very soon. Thanks, all. So thanks for listening to this podcast. This is Part 2. You can also check out Part 1 on prideofwest.london. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.